uh, as we continue in this message, uh, I will remind you that the, the Bibles that we uh, purchased through the Bibles for Ukraine and the t-shirts, that the, the t-shirts were completely covered by an anonymous donation directly to the printer, actually, and I wasn't even involved with it. So every penny that we raised uh, went to sending Bibles specifically uh, to people in Ukraine and around Ukraine. Um, that was the Ukrainian version of the Action Bible. So it was kids and teenagers that we were getting Bibles to. And it's that same hope that just getting the Word of God to someone, the, the life that that can bring. And I don't think it was probably lost on anyone here that um, the Bible that she still holds on to with that white dress on a Sunday morning or in worship. Um, There's so much hurt associated with that moment um, that it was in the same place at the same time that she lost the lives of her husband and her son. Um, But yet still she continued to praise God in that moment. And so I don't say that I enjoy these stories, but I appreciate these stories um, because it's the same things that we see in Scripture. Um, The same hope, that same, uh, we talked about it, the the Pentecostal power in one of the songs that um, all that simply means is that we recognize that the, the Holy Spirit that has been poured out, that His power, that His love, His encouragement, His beyond common sense strength in the midst of hardship. And so we're going to look at the kingdom perspective that this book gives us and these stories give us. Uh, If you're taking notes, the first kingdom perspective that we're going to look at is that when tragedy comes, we can still declare victory. That when tragedy becomes, uh, we can still declare victory. The Lord said in Habakkuk chapter 2, See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by what? By his faithfulness. And I'm going to show you how important this verse is here in a moment. But we can see from the story of Rebecca that biblical disciples, they experience victory as they walk in the righteousness of Christ despite their circumstances. And I said, you know, the but God moments, and we see that here in this verse. But the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. But it says, uh, the puffed up, the King James Version says, as the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. So it leads the reader to see this stark difference. The difference between living by faith and living according to the pursuits of all that they see around them in this world are perhaps even the danger of not living by faith, but by living by circumstances. And it says that the righteous, and to understand this idea here of the righteous, the just and the righteous that you've heard multiple times this morning, the righteous, according to this, conducts their lives according to the ways of God. So that's that reference back to the law. That the righteous, that they understand that they are not living according to what they declare. And that's the conversation I have with our kids that um, we've had a lot in the past couple of years. Um, uh, Preston especially, just, he always asks that question of like, is it legal? And I'm like, well, there's certain things that are legal, that are unbiblical, and, and, and that not, that's not our definition of what is righteous or not. That's what is legal. And that's really the righteous that is here is not according to what the culture says. The Babylonians, they created their own law. Their law was whatever they wanted it to be. But that we conduct ourselves according to God's law. And that's how we want to live our life. The interesting thing about this text, if you don't know, the Apostle Paul quoted the book of Habakkuk three different times. So if you're like, hey, this is just an Old Testament book, some guy arguing with God, is it really that significant? 
I think Paul would say it's extremely significant. And we're going to see the context that he actually quoted this verse in. The context is he's seeing that the proud man's soul um, is not upright in him. The just, however, they live by faith. It is not just that they live by according to their own right, but what is the right according to God? And so he looks at this, and if you understand what Paul was dealing with, he was actually dealing with the issue of the Old Testament law, and what does it mean today that Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of it? And so he's like wrestling this, do we still have to do all the Old Testament practices, or are we justified by faith? And when I say those words, you're like, yeah, Paul did talk about that a lot. So consider Romans chapter 1. Paul wrote in the very, like his monologue into the great book of Romans. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God uh, to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. If you ever see on the back of my uh, black Hyundai, 116 on the back, um, I got that when I was a youth leader. And it's Romans 116, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, and then I... Preston, uh, I didn't want him to get like burned when he was an infant, so I went to tint the windows. And, uh, and so I had a blacked out car with black tinted windows in Columbus, Ohio, which not most people have tinted windows. And then the police officer thought I had a gang sign on the back of my car when he pulled me over. And I said, no, it says I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, uh, and so that's what that is, just a little FYI. Verse 17, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, and here's where he quotes it. Now, there's been some argument on this because he actually leaves a word out. The just shall live by faith, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth of unrighteousness. Now, in case you catch it, this is something that people debate like in theological circles is, why does it say in Habakkuk, the just shall live by his faith? But when he quotes it in Romans, he says, the just shall live by faith. And I think it's very simple, even just verse 16, it's already put into context. It's already put in that we are talking about his faith. That Jesus Christ went before us and did for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And so, the just shall live by his faith. And we put our faith in Christ, not because of what we can do or what we have done, but because of who he is and what he has done. That is where our faith is in. So regardless of our circumstances, regardless of, of what is happening to us, any kind of persecution that we come under, and the reality is, I would say that the persecution on Christians in America uh, for my 13-year-old niece is greater than it was when her mom and I were going to, what was the name of our middle school? Was it just Olentangy Middle School? Now there's five Olentangy High Schools where MJ and I went to high school, but we were at the Olentangy High School. There was only one at the time. When we were 13, there was less persecution on the Christian faith and the culture and living your life according to those principles than there are today. Like, that's just real. And so we see that the righteousness is attained through Christ's atonement alone. You know, this was prophesied by Isaiah when he said, all of us have become like something unclean and all our righteous acts are like filthy cloth. That we could never be good enough to be righteous according to God's law. 
And then we see in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, because he made him who had no sin to be sin on our behalf. Jesus became the perfect sacrifice on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God to him. We don't have the ability to be righteous, but if we have faith in the one who was, then it can be like we are righteous as we stand before God. Romans chapter 3, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. This is the hope that Rebecca has. That she knows that her husband and her son are standing with God the Father, not because of the fact that they were a martyr. That's not what our faith believes. There's other faiths that believe that. But the fact that they stood for what they believed, but their righteousness was not based upon their acts. That's why other faiths are like, well, the only way to know for sure that you're really going to go to paradise is to, you know, die as a martyr. Then you know for sure. But outside of that, you never really know. Well, as Christians, we teach against that, that anybody who tries to teach that within the Christian faith is outside of the biblical context because it says right here, all we have to do to appear righteous before God is to believe and have faith in Jesus Christ. Nicodemus asked Jesus, what does it mean to be born again? He said, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall have everlasting life. That we believe that it's the atonement that we receive, that he becomes uh, the sacrifice for us. The biblical desire of just thirsting for righteousness is all throughout the Bible. Matthew quotes Jesus saying that we should have a thirst for righteousness in chapter 5. In both the letters to Timothy that Paul wrote, he said that we should pursue righteousness above all else. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said the priority of seeking righteousness should be before anything else. That we pursue the righteousness through our faith that we have in Christ. That we're not trying to reach a level of perfection, but we reach a place of faith. The biblical disciples are persecuted for righteousness' sake. All the disciples, except for Judas, who betrayed God and killed himself, and then John, who died as a prisoner, they all died following in the footsteps of the ministry of Jesus Christ. First Peter says, but even if you could suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear the intimidation and do not be troubled. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And so we tell people, if you find yourself in a place that you're facing persecution, you might be exactly where God wants you to be. And that's contrary to um, a book I saw for sale recently with a guy with a really big smile on his face who stands in a place that he calls a church and he preaches something very different. But we see the examples of what God is doing and we can expect that we can wear this, as the Bible says, as a badge of honor, that we're able to stand with Christ. It says that we shall live. The Chaldeans, the Babylonians are coming they're bringing judgment. They're bringing destruction. We're, we know this great tragedy is happening, but we can still live by faith. We don't have to let these outside circumstances impact the joy that we have. And that's why people's lives get changed by doing mission work. So they go to Nigeria and they stand with a woman who had her husband and son died and she has more joy than they do. And they're like, how is this? I have all this comfort and wealth. And yet, all these kids have is one soccer ball in the village and they're the happiest kids I've ever met. 
They live by faith. The faith of the Christian is not simply a theory or philosophy, but an activation of the righteousness that God puts inside us through the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to invite my friend Daniel to come up, and he's going to share with us um, victory and faith in the midst of persecution. Four mass gunmen charged into Muhammad Yosef Bat's home on the evening of July 1st, 2015. They pushed his wife aside and demanded to talk to him. After he stepped forward, the gunman escorted the 43-year-old father of three outside of his home in the Kashmir Valley and shot him seven times, killing him. Those who worked with Yosef described him as being a fearless, bold, and passionate believer who, quote, would not be quiet about Christ. In the end, his unflinching faith and the, and the, and the, I can't talk, and the evangelism of the Kashmiri Muslims in North India led to his death. Since leaving Islam himself in 1999, Yosef had known his life could end this way. While India is nearly 81% Hindu, the territory of Jammu and Kashmir is predominantly Muslim. In the Kashmiri Valley, 97% of the nearly 7 million residents are Muslim. Islamic militants in the region have created a war zone in which both the government, soldiers, and civilians are attacked by various radical groups. Villagers, especially Christians, have become anxious since Yosef's murder. They are even afraid to speak of it. Before his death, Yosef discussed the Islamist effort to stop the spread of Christianity and the fear that this caused among Christians. In Kashmir, we can see the Islamic leaders start a movement to crush the believers in Kashmir Valley. But this book, the Bible, has changed my life, he said. I want to share, its, I want to share it and my testimony of it. Despite the dangers, Yosef boldly shared his faith in big ways. He helped create a, a disciple-making movement among, among the Muslim co converts and distributed thousands of Bibles and copies of the Jesus film. It would be fair to say that Muslims have been receptive to the gospel in Kashmir, a frontline worker was quoted saying. The church grows and Yosef was seen by many as the leader of the church in Kashmir. After a major earthquake in the region, Yosef worked with others to provide health and dental care and relief camps. He also helped distribute solar-powered lights to people without electricity and brought clean drinking water to thousands of people. Such sacrificial acts of service have been a reflection of his deep faith ever since he encountered God through the scriptures and left Islam. Life was not always easy after he turned to Christ, but he felt God's presence. I have lots of persecution to my family, he said. My son was tortured. My daughter was also tortured by different people. Of course, we get persecuted to the body, but inside, we are getting so much peace. Yusuf was grateful for how these experiences increased his faith and helped him to experience the peace of God. Citing Matthew 5.10, he said the persecution was a blessing. Before his death, Yusuf knew there were plans to kill him. However, he forgave those who persecuted his family and plotted his death. God blessed them, he said. Our prayer is that God will open their spiritual eyes, so we are praying for them. Following Yusuf's murder, three militants were killed in a gun battle with security forces in Kashmir. Some believe the man who shot Yusuf was among those killed. The week before he was killed, Yusuf visited 13 of the house churches that he and others had started, challenging each group to remain faithful. He also asked them to continue his work should anything happen to him. Yusuf's overall goal, he once said, was that Kashmir would come to know Christ. This is not a religion we can see. This is a freedom, he said. Jesus takes me out of darkness and into the light of the Lord. 
We are praying that there will be open worship of the Lord. This is our main burden in our hearts. My prayer is this. When I see the stars, like every evening, I want to see that many believers in the Kashmir Valley. God, give us the power and the victory in Kashmir. I love hearing these stories from different voices because, you know, what gave me chills, Daniel, was like, you stood in his place to read these words today. And, and how significant they were of the story that's being told is that, you know, to get that opportunity to, to, to speak his words and to hear them and, and for us just to receive that today and, uh, and just the encouragement of that, of, of what it means. The second thing is we're looking from a kingdom perspective is when tragedy becomes hope, when tragedy becomes hope, first tragedy becomes victory. And now we're going to look at that tragedy can become hope. Habakkuk, the same verse, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, Habakkuk 2.14. says the earth belongs to the Lord as the psalmist declared. The earth belongs, it says the entire um, earth will be filled with the knowledge and the glory of the Lord, that it's a will be, that this is a, a certain thing that's going to happen, that it is complete, it's going to be filled entirely, it's going to be comprehensive as the water covers the sea, so will the knowledge of God be. And with the knowledge of this, we can see this idea, by the way, the Hebrew word here is yada, it's not Yoda, um, but I always wonder if it's where they got the name Yoda from, it means to have great knowledge to know of God, but it really goes even beyond that. It's not just knowledge of him. There's a lot of people that know, they've heard the name of Jesus, but it's actually to be in relationship with. You know, a lot of people, uh, they know my wife, Angie, but, but I probably know her at a different, deeper level than anybody else, uh, her sister close, but you know, uh, but similar to that, um, that you have that knowledge of the person that you've been spending. Um, my wife and I have spent more years together than we had not together, you know, and that we've had those experiences together. And that's what it means when it says the knowledge of the Lord is to have that deep relationship, that, bond, that bonding together. And then it says in the verse, for the glory of the Lord. And this glory here is the same word used in Exodus when it says that there was a glory cloud that was over the Israelites as they went into the land of milk and honey. In Exodus 24, it's the same word that's used to describe the consuming fire that protected them and that, that, uh, the same one that came and engulfed the sacrifice on the altar. This, this knowledge of God, the glory of God is something int intently personal and relational. The glory involves the honor and the position of power that God desires to be in our life. In the Psalms it says, for the Lord is good, his loving kindness is everlasting, and his faithfulness is for all generations. I'm going to invite John to come up to share with us um, the story of God's glory and God's power um, from North Korea. The hope of God's glory in North Korea, Pastor Han. North Korea began to tighten its control of the border in the mid-1990s, and fewer Chinese churches were willing to help North Koreans because of pressure and punishment from the Chinese government. Pastor Han's church was the exception. Word spread among North Koreans that if you needed help, you should go see Pastor Han. He provided clothes and food to his visitors before carefully evaluating them for several days. If he believed the person was truly seeking to know God and was not a spy, 
he would cautiously begin to share Bible stories. After fully assessing the person's character, he would share the gospel in its entirety and begin to train the new believer. New Christians would then join small house churches that Pastor Han maintained along the border and undergo several months of intensive training. The pastor took a conservative but systematic approach to spreading the gospel in North Korea, training new believers and then encouraging them to return to their own country. Quote, Pastor Han would have them invite their closest relatives or friends to China, a frontline worker in the region said, urging the North Koreans to share the gospel themselves in North Korea was much too dangerous. Pastor Han took a risk each time he helped a North Korean who crossed the border into China, but his work was also very rewarding. In 2012, a woman who made her living smuggling various goods into North Korea came looking for the pastor. While Jung Ah, not her real name, was in prison in North Korea for smuggling another prisoner, for smuggling, another prisoner had told her about God using the term Hananim, meaning one God. Since North Koreans generally use the term Hananulanim, meaning sky God or God in the heavens, Jung Ah became curious about the one God. After her release from prison, she crossed into China and went looking for Pastor Han. When the pastor first met Jung Ah, he took her to a safe house where he taught other North Koreans. After several days, he determined that she was very smart and she had a good heart, Ms. Han recalled. The pastor taught Jung Ah the Bible for three months and her life was transformed. She left her smuggling work and began to help Pastor Han share the gospel with North Koreans. Eventually, Jung Ha became one of the pastor's top workers in North Korea, sharing the gospel with more than 70 people and leading them to Pastor Han for further discipleship. Her work was cut short when in 2014, another of Pastor Han's disciples, Deacon Jang, was kidnapped in North Korea and mercilessly interrogated, ultimately giving up some details of Pastor Han's ministry. Another man, Pastor Han, led to the Lord, Sang Chu, was drawn to the pastor after, learn, after hearing about him in North Korea. Quote, the thing I really wanted to know from him was why he helped North Koreans, because it was very dangerous for Pastor Han to help North Koreans there, Sung Chu said. Pastor Han unconditionally loved us and treated us well with love. I felt his heart. The more I met Pastor Han, I felt more of his heart came from the Lord. Without God, he wouldn't help me. That is why I realized Christianity is a real religion. Sang Chu could understand showing love to someone with the expectation of receiving something in return, but he had never seen someone like Pastor Han who gave to others for no apparent reason. They helped us from a genuine heart, even though they put themselves in danger, Sang Chu said. They didn't ask anything from us. After spending five months with Pastor Han, Sung Chu placed his faith in Christ. From that, time, from that time, we made a group, and we received intensive training, Sang Chu said. Four years after meeting the pastor, Sang Chu is still full of praise for his mentor. I was a truthful man because China and North Korea discriminate against Christians, he said. But in the middle of those kind situations, he had love, and that is why he is different. Uh, pastor Han was 
killed by uh, North Korean assassins. And what's not in this reading, which I think is important to point out too, is the work of Pastor Han's wife. She also traveled over to North Korea numerous times and uh, on one occasion delivering rice to starving North Koreans. And in uh, just by the mere um, uh, showing love for your fellow men, uh, she, was, she was captured by them because they put her under suspicion simply for doing that because uh, acts of, of uh, love are not, are not used. I mean, it's, it's a transactional relationships where if you do something for me, then I do something for you in return. But simply doing something with not, and expecting nothing in return uh, got her put in prison. The story that came out of that that I did a little additional research on was that when she was captured, she went in her summer clothing. And, you know, as, as the harsh winter went on and she uh, bared interrogations and, and solitary confinement and, and various other uh, harsh uh, environments within that prison. But as the winter came on, there was no heat and she was um, potentially could have froze to death. And there was another Christian member within that prison that whose life was changed and brought to Christ by Pastor Han, who had come into that prison knowing that they were going to be arrested with multiple layers of clothing. And that individual actually shared some of the clothing with her to keep her alive until she was eventually released. All right. Thanks, John. And I didn't know the rest of that story, so that is powerful. So thanks for sharing. Um, John asked for that story. He's, uh, if you don't know his story, he's done some work uh, through the federal government and he's seen some things, uh, you know, in different parts of the world and had a heart to share, you know, as we continue to see the Holy Spirit. We're at our last point. It ends with the shortest story. As we see this kingdom perspective, we can see uh, when tragedy becomes joy. It said in Habakkuk chapter three, yet I will rejoice in the Lord and I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. So we see all these circumstances and it's all kind of put here in verses 17 and 18. And it goes through and gives some specific, uh, you know, addresses. It says the fields will yield no food. It's likely, you know, that this was the, the grain that they would live by. It says that the fig tree itself would not grow, a representation of the symbolic wealth and prosperity of their nation. Uh, the fruit of the vine would be no more, which they used for their feasts, their festivals, their celebrations. It was also symbolic of their joy. The olive oil that was pressed three times would no longer be uh, used for anointing in the temple, for lamps, for lights, or medical purposes. The flock would be cut off from the fold. Animals would be scattered to the wild, and future herds would be vulnerable to predators and thieves. Um, there would be no more herd in the stalls, which also represented there would be no more sacrifices in the temple. There would be no more meat for consumption, and, and there would be no way to ask for their forgiveness at the temple. And then that word again, yet. A term that contradicts this change of direction. And Habakkuk moves from describing devastation into the declaration of joy from a, a deep, objective uh, place in his heart that he could see the God of his salvation, the God that could bring him joy. He says, I will rejoice. This declaration was the prophet's choice. 
And I've been sharing with a lot of people recently how many times in the Bible it says, I will set my mind upon things that are of God. I will choose this day, the God that I will serve. And I think always we talk about having joy and hope and victory in the midst of tragedy and calamity and different difficult circumstances. It's what do we set our mind to? Do we set our minds to the things above or just simply to the things below? I heard uh, this is a Scottish preacher said, joy is the flag that is flown from the citadel of the heart when the king is in residence. That when you know in your heart that Jesus Christ is the king of your life, that you know he died on the cross for your sins, when you know that you do not have to be worried about today or tomorrow for you are in God's hands and you know where you stand for eternity, that joy can overwhelm like a spring from your heart, not just because of our happenings. We see our happiness comes from our happenings, but our joy comes from Jesus Christ. It says, the God, the Lord is my strength. How is this prophet able to rejoice and fly this flag of joy in his life even when he sees the difficult circumstances that are right ahead? Because his life is anchored in God, who is his strength. God did not transfer some type of super spiritual strength to Habakkuk that we can't have. In fact, as we sing today, we've got the Pentecostal power of the Holy Spirit that can flow from our lives. We've got one last story, if I can invite Armin to come up and share. So pictures uh, are worth a thousand words, and these two pictures are no exception. The backstory to this is that just prior to these photos being taken, these worshipers were in a service, and they were standing shoulder to shoulder in an auditorium with a worship band singing out loud with uh, musicians playing their instruments and people standing in the open windows and doors just trying to get a look inside and worship along with them. That may not seem so remarkable to us, but what is remarkable is that the people that you see here are indigenous Berbers, and the country is in Algeria. And Algeria is a, where the state uh, religion is Islam. Um, that makes, uh, there are a lot of oppression in that area. These aren't the first Christians, however. Christianity actually came to Algeria, or the, the Berber people, at the height of the Roman Empire as part of the efforts of the early church. Uh, and it wasn't until the seventh century when Arab invaders came in and changed all of that and basically wiped Christianity out completely. Up until then, Christianity was the dominant religion. And so for the last nearly 1400 years, there has been essentially a 97% uh, rate of Islam in that country. And what's interesting is that it's actually legal to express other faiths in that country. Where it comes to Christianity, however, is that it's illegal to convert anybody. So square that with what we know to be the Great Commission and how that works. So the people you see here are actually uh, sponsored by Voice of the Martyrs to personally go out and minister to the Muslim population in Algeria. All right, thank you, Armin, for, for sharing their story. You can see them getting creative with a baptism. And, uh, and just to be able to put faces and smiles and, and see the joy that they have in serving Jesus Christ. 
So what I want to do today, I know today has been a different Sunday, and it's a different kind of message. Um, one thing is there's a, there's a handout in each of the bulletin. Um, if you're interested, Voice of the Martyrs has an incredible monthly magazine that comes out. I highly recommend it. It's free. I don't know how they can afford it because it's super well done, and they send it to like every address I've ever lived in. I hear still gets one. And um, uh, so sign up all your neighbors. No, I'm just kidding. But um, I read it with my kids every month. When it comes in, I'll throw it in the middle of the kitchen table, and then we find ourselves having a meal. We'll open it up, and we'll, read, we'll each like read a story from it. And it's always different places of the world. It's an incredible way to stay engaged with that. Um, but what I'd like to do right now is just take some time to pray. Um, and uh, we'll have a prompt on the screen, and I can get it started. Um, if you feel comfortable that you want to just kind of say a prayer out loud for one of these topics, um, you may do so, um, but I didn't ask anybody to do it beforehand, um, so I know it's hard to do things like that on the spot. Um, and then in case you're wondering, we are going to pray for our nation last, um, as we recognize that this is an important week for our nation, and, uh, and so we'll end with a prayer for that. So let's begin, and, and let's pray that every Christian living in hostile areas— uh, and restricted nations will receive their own copy of the Bible. So if you guys just want to just begin just to pray to God to that, if anybody feels led, um, you know, to, to pray, please do. God, as we believe that we are not fighting against forces of flesh and blood, then what we're doing right now to an outsider may seem like a waste of time. But God, I believe that as you hear the prayers of so many people that are here, perhaps watching online, your Holy Spirit is just going out from this place and going into the places. God, we just pray that the word of God, that the Bible can be in the hands of everybody on earth. They can get a chance to hear your story. God, we pray for the Bibles that we've helped send to Ukraine. And God, we pray that they are received well and that they can change lives. God, we pray for ministries like YouVersion that's had a billion downloads of their app in over a hundred different languages. Um, that God, the ability to get Bibles out has just been incredible over these past 20 years. God, we pray for Bibles that are thrown out of uh, airplanes with night vision goggles so they can filter down to people um, in remote places and dangerous places. Um, God, we're reminded today that the gospel of Jesus Christ can be dangerous. The Bibles can be seen as weapons. Um, and God, perhaps that's why you refer to um, the sword as truth, Lord, is because uh, you know that in your spirit um, that you are on the attack, that you are the Lion of Judah. As we continue to pray, the next thing that we'll pray for is that we, that Christians will be wise as serpents and innocent as doves, as they smuggle, smuggle Bibles uh, to smuggle and distribute. And let's put the next prayer up um, so we can kind of pray for these together. Thank you. Uh, pray that persecutors who seize Bibles will read them and place their trust in Christ. I like this one a lot. Um, is someone willing to pray for this? It's a simple prayer. I'll pray. God, we're just so thankful that, um, uh, Lord, I know that these stories, I've read these stories to be true. Um, I remember a story from Russia of a, of a guard who uh, took a Bible from someone and just couldn't get himself to throw it away or destroy it. And, and eventually he opened it up and, and it changed his life. So God, we're thankful that your Bible is true, that your Bible doesn't need to have a marketing campaign. We don't have to spin it. Um, that God, that your word of God is alive and is changing lives. God, we thank you for that. I think we have one last thing we're going to focus on for prayer. 
Yeah, just from Habakkuk, that we may hasten the fulfillment of God's promise that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And so as we pray for that, um, let's just take a moment and just pray for our nation. Uh, It's a significant week. Um, uh, I hope and pray that um, every single person here has been able to uh, vote or will vote according to how the Holy Spirit is continuing to guide us through the word of God. And, uh, but I know that this is a significant week, so let's pray for our nation. God, I just would pray that every single person in America, um, that at one point, you know, every hotel room had a Bible in it, and I don't know if that's true anymore. Um, but there's no one in America who hasn't had knowledge of God according to their knowledge. And God, we pray that they have knowledge of God according to this text of today, that they would know you relationally and intently. And so God, I just pray that, that we don't take for granted the Bibles that we can have in our homes um, that can become like decorations. Um, that God, we get the dust off and that we continue to put them into our lives, Lord, and that we can be a part of bringing that word into so many others. But God, just as Habakkuk uh, cried out for his nation during a time of turmoil, um, God, we come to you because, God, we need you. Um, God, we would love for you to be on the throne. We would love for you to be in control of our nation. Um, but God, you have shown us in Scripture that there are times that you let people have what their own hearts uh, ask for. Um, and God, I pray that as we come into this week, as we begin to see um, the, the opportunity for our country to follow your wills and your desires, um, God, we pray for safety. Um, God, we pray that for um, every election office, we pray for every single voting location, the schools that are opened up, we pray for um, just anyone who's willing to cast the vote, Lord, that we still can continue to be that shining city set on a hill, that we are different, Um, that God, that we are a place that has freedom. And so, Lord, we just pray that you can just speak into this. And God, we pray that for those that are elected or those that um, are going to best represent um, your laws, not what we desire, not what our hearts are after, but God, what you say is righteous, what you say is just. And so, Lord, we pray for that, um, that God, that we can trust you in that. And just like the verses from the scripture, just like the stories from today, um, that God, no matter what the circumstances are, it doesn't change the victory that we have in the God of our salvation. It doesn't change the strength of the Lord to renew. It doesn't change our hope, and it never takes away our joy. Our joy is not based upon a political party or even the nation that we truly do love, but our joy comes from Jesus Christ. So Lord, we just pray for you this week that you can just be a part of um, just protecting our nation and guiding us towards you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, church, it was a different Sunday. Next week we'll continue um, with uh, Wind Picks Fly, and we're going to talk about God's provision. Go into your week. Be blessed. Amen.